Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome Bo, managing partner of NGP Capital. From his current base in Geneva, Switzerland, he has developed NGP Capital from initial commitments of $25 million to more than $1.6 billion, investing in the US, Europe and China. Through his portfolio exits, Bo has created more than $3 billion in shareholder value during his time as an investor. As a technologist at heart, Bo believes in the positive, transformative effects technology has on society. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Welcome to the European VC. Super nice to have you here today. How's everything? Everything is good. I'm a bit tired because it's 6 a.m. here in California, but uh, I'm ready to go. Yeah, we're, we're here just trying to help Bo get back into the European time zone. That's we're just we're just helping, right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm kidding. Bo, thank you for that. We appreciate the flexibility. Let's jump right straight into it. Before we start and and talking about the specific topics that we want to, to deep dive on today, give us give us a quick rundown. You know, how how did you get into venture? But also, what is NGP Capital? How did it come to be? Give us a story. Yeah, so, so the quick background is that I'm an electronics engineer by training and, and I had operating jobs for 14 years. A lot of that time I spent building uh, the early versions of, of the, the GSM networks and, and today we call it 5G. Um, and I did that up until 2002. And towards the tail end of that, I, I did uh, run a business unit for, for Nokia at the time and, and uh, we were looking for partners in Silicon Valley where actually I'm sitting now. Um, and there were a lot of these VC-backed companies. I had no clue what that was all about. Uh, I had a friend in, in Denmark that had started at a VC in the late 90s, and he was very excited about it. And then I started meeting these entrepreneurs and investors, and I felt like, wow, there's a, a great energy. There's a lot of buzz. And, and in funny ways, it reminded me of the early days of, of my work in Nokia, because that was also very entrepreneurial, right? Nokia was growing out of nowhere yeah. very, very quickly throughout the 90s. And, and then in 2002, I got a chance to join a VC firm in London, and I thought that was very exciting. So I joined them, and uh, they had been in business for many years and, and had about a billion dollars on the management. I thought it was a great place to learn the craft, as I did not know what VC was, and I did not know how to invest. So, so that was how the journey started. And then in 2008, it was sort of just at the onset on the financial crisis, and I was thinking about what to do next. And... Uh, then, uh, lo and behold, uh, old friends from Nokia came calling and said, look, uh, there is this VC arm that has been started by Nokia called NGP, and maybe it would be of interest to you. And I, I thought that was a great fit, uh, having done operational jobs with Nokia for many years. I knew many of the executives. And then, on the other hand, I had done VC in London and, and, and uh, also in that involved companies both in Europe and also on the yeah. U.S. West Coast. And, and I thought, okay, this looks like a good fit. So I joined in 2008. And uh, today we uh, have raised about $1.6 billion over the years. Uh, we invest in cybersecurity, enterprise software, and uh, uh, edge cloud, as we call it, um, and then select verticals within uh, industrial uh, sectors, such as transportation, manufacturing, and logistics. And just to clarify, it, it's a global strategy, correct? Yes, it's not by coincidence. I said we have an office here in Palo Alto. We have an office in Shanghai. And, and then in Europe, because of the European markets, you know that's more fragmented. And, and we have an office in Berlin. We have an office in Helsinki where our LP is sitting. And then uh, I live in Switzerland, but spend a lot of time on the road. So, Very cool. I think uh, there's a lot of topics I want to dive here. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of 
playing around. Which, which one should I start? I actually want to ask a completely, a completely unrelated question. Who is this Danish investor that started a fund in the 90s? There's not a lot of people that, that are doing VC for that long, right? Yeah, it was a VC arm of Danske Bank yeah, okay. at the time. And uh, uh, I don't think they exist anymore, but that was sort of the, you know, the, the wave had sort of started in Europe in the late 90s. Sweden was a little bit ahead of Denmark. You know, there was something called Framfab and, and there was uh, some of these other early incarnations. Denmark was a little bit behind that curve. And then, of course, uh, the crash happened and, and everybody was running away from the asset class, right? So it had just started picking up in, in Scandinavia and, and then it was sort of all all went into hibernation for like, you know, so five years. Happen, uh, as a result of, uh, of a small market swing right now. <laughs> nah, I, think, I, I think we're, PC is in a very different place now than back then. It also in terms of, you know, didn't have the big home runs at that time that the people really understood that this is actually a thing. It wasn't just a couple of guys in California that hit something good and then it worked. Uh, <laughs> so I think the model is a bit more proven today. It, it is, but but you know, the funny thing is a VC fund on average is 14 years yeah. length, right? You know, uh, technically it's a 10 year <laughs> document, but there's always a tail. And if you look at it, we have since, since I started, well, I started at the back end of, of the dot-com burst, right? But that has been, we've had three downturns, right? The dot-com burst, we had, the great financial crisis. And now we, I, I'm not sure what we're going to call this post COVID uh, uh, situation, but chances are at one point of time throughout a front life, you go through a crisis, right? Of some, of some magnitude, right? Of course, some of them can be smaller. Some might be more local, uh, um, but you will have to manage through a crisis, right? Um, and and I think, Andreas, it's true that also just the magnitude of the market today is so different when you look at, I mean, seven or eight of the largest companies in the world, the tech companies, and I forget how many of them were VC-backed originally, but quite a few of them, right? So so it's a very different asset class, and digital disruption is hitting all sectors of the economy, meaning that also in terms of the TAM that uh, entrepreneurs go after is much, much bigger. Um, but, of course, uh, as you can see from the, the corrections now that has hit the public markets, that there was some exuberance which has now been uh, coming out of the market. And, and I think for everybody that's healthy and, you know, the old saying is it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. Right. So, you know, um, when I started, it was really the Siberian winter. Right. It was very depressing. Nobody wanted to touch it and everybody was selling. I cleaned up other people's portfolios and uh, as well. Right. We took over portfolios from UBS Bank, from Dresden Bank. But you are right today. It's a very, it's a very different industry and, and it's more mature. But it doesn't mean that it's free from from these corrections that we're now going. I feel I feel extremely tempted <laughs> to deep dive on those transactions with banks because there's a lot of a lot of VCs out there have very very strong opinions about about the way banks do, do venture and, and everything. But let's not go there because I, would, I think that will be a rabbit hole. Before we go too deep, oh, normal VCs, normal no corporate, no nothing, no single LP structure tend to tend to you know think that single lp structures are uh, are you know they, they're not real vcs they've never been through the grind of fundraising uh all, all kinds of views or they say yeah they say they're financial but in fact they are strategic all the, all those views there's one thing there that i think that i'd love to give you the chance to kind of um enlighten people on because i think last time we spoke you had some great observations as to how a good corporate vc should be built and what are the key cornerstones of a good corporate VC firm. Uh, so with that question, I think I'll, I'll kick it to you um, and, and, and then take it from there. 
Yeah, so Andreas, I can, I, I, you were very nice in how you paraphrased it, but a lot of people talk about uh, dumb money at high price, right? Uh, you know, um, and, and um, uh, I'm, of course, I'm being, I'm joking a bit here, but uh, I think over the years, corporates have not done themselves a service when it comes to venture. And uh, when you ask about the structure, right, we are an arm's length entity. So we set up exactly like any other financial VC. We are financial first, right? We're not financial only. And uh, what we are working on always is to figure out how do we learn from the needs of a large technology company, in our case, Nokia, uh, with 90,000 people employed. And, and how do we uh, give value to them in terms of uh, understanding what's happening in the market, how are people building businesses? And if corporates did everything perfect, there would be no room for venture capital, right? Because they have all the resources, they have all the budgets, they have all the people, they have all the IPR, they have all the reach, they have customers, they have everything, right? But that's also part of the straitjacket that they come into, right? Because then, you know, markets can uh, keep you captive, customers can keep you captive. And I think where most people go wrong is they sort of model the uh, objective. And I, I fully respect corporates that invest directly from their balance sheet and run it as investments. It's a perfectly valid way of doing it, but you just have to be very clear that you're doing it to further your corporate objective, right? And it's not necessarily a financial investment like a VC. And, and I think that's where 90% uh, of the uh, funds that are not surviving, they go wrong, is that there is a modeled objective. I'm very curious to understand a bit more about how that relationship influences on the one hand the the investment themes or the the, the vertical focus or whatever we want to call it so that's one thing and another thing i'd love to understand is also how it impacts uh what could be called the exit strategy because i'm actually quite ignorant on that front i'd, lo I'd love i'd love to learn yeah so as i said as i said in 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 uh, earlier i mean we are financial first but not financial only uh, we have never sold a business to nokia right um, there has been a few times where they have looked at companies we knew that were in an exit process, um, but they, they didn't buy them because, again, you know, we are VCs. We want to maximize the financial outcome. If Nokia wants to buy one of our companies, it is, of course, in a normal M&A process. And, and there are shareholders that around the table, which, you know, as us, want to maximize the financial outcome. Or if they are bidders close to each other find the best home for the business and, and of course work also with the entrepreneurs and management to sort of figure out what's what's potentially the best home for the business. So, um, but Nokia has never bought any of our companies. They have looked at a number of situations. And then we have roughly 10% of our exits are IPOs and the rest are, are M&A situations. And of course that happens in collaboration with the investors and, and the management teams uh, in each situation. Yeah. What I find interesting, and this is, this is particularly relevant the earlier you go, right? Is that startups are super fluid. So what might be a, fin a fintech startup might end up being, I don't know, a health tech startup yeah. these days, right? And then that's only yeah. increasing and increasing. And actually um, a lot of a lot of VCs talk about this in their in their LP base when they are corporates about making the LPs understand that fluidity the earlier you go. And so that's 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 yeah. why I asked that first question to understand okay, your financial first, there's also the strategic component to it, of course. But how do you think yeah. about it and specifically considering the stage where you're at? You're not doing pre-seed, you're not doing seed, right? You're doing series, series A plus. So I'd love, I'd love to hear your thoughts because we don't have a lot of Series A plus investors on the pod, by the way. Um, yeah, and there's a reason for that, right? Again, it's very hard for a corporate to do something sensible with three guys in a garage, right? I mean, you know, the first time they see sort of a 100-page <laughs> supply contract, you have to write this sort of run away screen. But, you know, that's like, if you want to sell something to Apple, right? I mean, first, I mean, 
there, there are a lot of other other issues around uh, these contracts, right? Yeah. But you have to have a bandwidth, wherewithal understanding on how do you engage. Yeah. Right? Now, there are ways, for instance, if you're sort of if you sit on an app ecosystem with Salesforce or 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 with with Google, of course, there it's much lighter weight engagements typically, and and that's where a lot of VCs operate, right? In that sort of space where it's about ecosystem building on a more lighter weight. Yeah. Uh, base, but of course, also there are a lot of VC-backed companies that are deeply engaged with large corporates, and typically you can start to do that when you become sort of Series A plus and later, right? It, it's just it's just about the maturity of the business, and, and David, as you say, of course, there's a lot of fluidity in the early days of of a company's life, and and you know, one day we are fintech, the next day we are insure tech, and then the third day we are in ag- agri-tech or whatever, right? It's that's that's the nature of the beast, so. Um, but but that's sort of part of the reason why we are sort of in this series A to series A plus to series C. Then you, you said you asked about the themes. Um, so we obviously try to find spaces where it's a little bit with the ice hockey analogy of skating to where the puck will be, right? Um, uh, or if you have a sort of more sophisticated McKinsey approach, they uh, operate with the Horizon One, Two, and Three framework. So we typically invest in Horizon Two and Three. So those are areas that in 24 to 48 months will become relevant to sort of Nokia. And of course, this is our guess, right? But again, it's not that complicated, right? If you think, and for instance, cybersecurity, right? any, any large technology company, if they say cybersecurity is not important, right? They're lying or <laughs> they will be out of business very quickly, right? So cybersecurity is, is, as we say, it's the <laughs> gift that keeps giving, right? And it's relevant for everybody. And if you look at somebody like Nokia, it's relevant in Nokia's product. It's relevant for Nokia as a customer. It's relevant in Nokia's own operations, right? So it's a great place to operate, to make investments and to engage. Uh, the same when, when we look at uh, its cloud or cloud architecture, right? Um, all of the telco functions are moving to the cloud as a lot of them have moved already, but there's still a process going on of moving those to the cloud. And it's a great place to make investments. It's it's super important for both telcos and, and also for uh, for Nokia. Um, so you, you need to sort of pick your spaces, right? So we don't invest in e-commerce, right? It's a large uh, uh, maturing opportunity. We don't in, invest in insure tech, right? Um, so... So you need to be smart about it, but each of these spaces are so large, right? I mean, you could do it just, I mean, people do just a cybersecurity fund, for instance, right? We want to pick more areas that are are relevant for more people. So we tend to be maybe spread over more uh, areas such as cybersecurity, cloud architecture, and enterprise applications, right? Um, But we do that because of the engagement also we have with folks at Nokia that, again, they're not holding the secret and the truth to everything in life, but... If, if you engage and you work with these people, you learn, right? As, yeah. as uh, you learn from speaking with entrepreneurs, right? So, so that's, that's the model, right? We find that in that Venn diagram, we, we find the overlap between areas that are venture investable and, and then areas where we believe that, that, no, that are important to Nokia, like the examples so, I mentioned. I'd love us to shift into a topic that I know you love, <laughs> which is VC firm building. And, and, and it's one thing that some people love it because they're just embarking on it and need to build a firm. <laughs> Others love it because they've been doing it for quite some years and you you are in yeah. the latter category. So I'm very curious to uh, to, 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 yeah. to dive into this conversation with you, especially also because you're a global investor and 
and it's not that often that we have have global investors that also care about Yerevan this uh, this this show. So let's kick it off with the point that you know the soft side. I know you love to say that VCs are like entrepreneurs. Um, so let's let's kick it off there. Tell me what what you mean when you say that and why you love that saying, and then we we take it from there. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Andreas. I, I have a lot of debates with my entrepreneur friends, and and uh, when I say it, they also stop up and say, ah, yeah, actually, you're right, because uh, entrepreneurs forget that VC is also building their own business. If you go back to eight, nine, ten, right, it was very much yeah. about entrepreneurs pitching to VCs, right? Yeah. Today, it's it's the other way around, and and that's fine, right? I'm not complaining, but that's how the world has changed too, right? Because the sought after entrepreneurs are pitched to by I don't know. 40 or 50 VCs, right, are trying to get into the, into the, and now I have to, the, I think the language here is important, right, into the hot deals, because as you know, the hot deal of yesterday yeah. might not be the hot deal today, right, uh, for all sorts of reasons, right, but there's, there's uh, so much competition that has entered into the market, and, yeah. and if you don't change, you are, you're out of the game. So, I, in that way, there's a lot in that journey that, that, that is similar, right, and also you're building organizations, you have to build the culture, you have to you know, bring on board people, train them, and then you have people that are maybe circling out and you have to uh, replace and so on and so on, right? And and you have to also decide how, how do you want to expand your business, right? Do you want to raise other strategies in other funds? Do you, yeah. I mean, but as an emerging manager, right, you have you probably have about two years to show that you're actually good. And, and if not, you're never going to get a fund again. So you've got, as an entrepreneur, you can always pivot or shut the, shut, the, shut the shop down and then do another one in another sector or something peripheral. Uh, but in VC, you know, if, yeah. if you build a fund and it failed, no one is going to give you money from the next time, right? Even though you change the strategy or something, uh, that, that that is at least very rare that you see. Um, so, Bo, I have a question, which is you're 25 people, uh, 12 investors, and you are five investment partners, two in Europe, two in the US, and one in China. And then I look yeah. at your AUM and your last fund was 400 million, I think, to myself. Hmm. That's, that's, uh, that's a lot of money yeah. on a on very few partner heads <laughs> compared to what we're used to seeing in Europe. I love to hear your thinking around that and, and why you're not more and, 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 you know, because this is part of firm building, right? How many GPs do you actually want per, per, per investment? Yeah. Dollar? You know, look, uh, I don't know if you know Valar out of New York, right? Yeah. There are two guys investing together, right? That's, you know, that's the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> exactly. right? um, so, so I think the, the, on our side, right, um, as we are active in three regions, we need to somehow cover that with investment partners. The amount of partners, I think, is, again, everybody have their own model, right? And in our case, I think we have learned that we have geographical complexity. Um, and if we add more people in each region, it, it is, and, and more yeah. partners, it is harder to manage, right? So I think we are happy where we are today um, because the complexity, yeah. and, and we make decisions as one team, right, across across each of these markets. And and that's uh, always, you learn a lot, but it's also, also more complex, right? You don't, I mean, there's that, of course, there's always a risk of group things. You're you are five guys in Copenhagen, right? You are more or less from the same schools, from the same neighborhoods, and you think the same way. And, okay, so how much how much can you think out of the box as a group, right? Which is, I mean, we are, we are quite a diverse uh, group of, of partners. We, we have all, uh, most of us have lived and worked in outside of our home country. And, and then we live and work in different regions. So that already brings diversity in thinking, but, but of course it brings complexity in, in decision-making, right? So, so we think this is a, a, a right number. And, and then we also have a, a, 
uh, we have a group of, of uh, associates and principals and, and many of them are quite tenured and, and they, they lift quite a lot as well. And we are, uh, we have about half of our portfolio. We have a formal board seat, 25%. We have an observer and then 25% we are, we are not active on the board. Right. So, so with yeah. about 50 portfolio companies, right. It's quite busy also on, on managing, uh, managing portfolio as well as making new investments. But we, we think this is the right balance we have at the moment. I want to come back to the, the previous topic more and more focused on firm building specifically. And, you know, uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments to what I'm, what I'm about to, to say here. You know, we, 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 Andres and I, we love, we love emerging VCs. We love micro VCs. We love all of that. But to be honest with you, where I feel that I kind of learned the most is when we're talking with GPs that think about building a sustainable firm rather than raising the next fund. Right. Um, and it's yeah. funny because early this morning I was reading this, um, this Twitter thread and I hate that I'm bringing in a U.S. example, but it's actually a great Twitter thread by Elizabeth from Hustle Funds, one of, one of the co-founders, one of the founders. Um, and she and it started with pe people often conflate startup investing with running a VC, a VC firm. And then she, she lists like I think it's like 15 reasons why and she, and she really dives into it. But two things that sit in my head is like five years, years in, she's barely looking at pitch decks. Right? And uh, she 90% of her, her, her mind space is focused on succession planning. Right? which is actually something yeah. that I personally see in Europe as an issue in many VC funds. So I'd love, I'd love to have your comment to this kind of big kind of waffle comment I did in the beginning, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. No, I, I, I think David, that's, that's, that's a, it's a great question. And, and most people enter into the business for the love of working with entrepreneurs and the excitement of being in the ecosystem. And it's just great, right? There's great energy. Everything is possible. Um, everybody, or I've not, but most people you meet are driven. They want to make things happen. Uh, they want to make a difference. Uh, they want to make a dent in the universe. And, and I think that's just the great gift of, of this uh, business. Now, having said all of that, right, um, if a fund is 14 years, right, it's, you know, I, I'm a little bit sort of uh, later in my career, right? But uh, when I was in my late 20s, right? I mean, 14 <laughs> years was like an eon, right? How do you mean what it means? Like, I signed a document today with Andreas and David, and we're all gang-ho, and this is cool. And, and then, ooh, 14 years later, we're still here with Andreas and David, and, you know. Um, and, and I think that's sort of, that's what uh, yeah. uh, people maybe forget at times, right? And, and that comes back to the firm building that, that you know, People come in because they love investing, right? And and then they realize, okay, now we need to hire some people, and 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 then things start to look more like quote unquote a job, right? Um, but I think you you always need to, I think you need to blend it a bit. It's true, of course, that you tend to spend more time on firm building, right? We've just again, we had a great offsite earlier this year in in June. We spend a lot of time on thinking about the future. We called it big ideas and. Because with our new fund that we started in February, right, we have a, of course, we have an idea of where we want to go, but we really haven't had time to get together and think through, okay, 2032, what does the world need? <laughs> you know, what, what are going to be the iconic companies in 2030 or 2032 when the time when we would yeah. sort of start exiting the good companies from our fund, right? Because the good companies tend to take longer to mature, right? As, as there's an American saying, right, that, that you, you, get, you yeah. get lemons before you get lemonade, right? And, and the companies that don't perform, typically you exit earlier, right? But then the ones that are working, you tend to stay with for more than 10 years, right? I mean, yeah. 
I have companies today where I've been invested more than 10 years and they're still growing and doing well, right? But what does the, what does the world look like that nobody knows, right? So, um, so we spend a lot of time on that. We spend a lot of time discussing our culture, revising our values. And, and we also in the midst of a, a, a sort of refresh of our brand, right? And again, it's all about, it's about growing, it's about evolving. And we talk a lot about, you know, on one hand, we have the <clears throat> luxury of having been in the business for a long time. But then on the other hand, are we ossifying, right? How do we, how do we bring in new ways of doing things? How do we bring in new ways of thinking, new ways of operating? Um, maybe how do we allow for the new idea, right? Because some of us have worked together for more than 10 years and it's sort of like, you know, yeah. for better or worse, it's, it's like a marriage, right? It's sort of, you know, uh, yeah. uh, so how do you refresh yourself, right? And of course, this is all yeah. about then the company building, right? And, and how, do you, how do you then grow talent? And, and as you know, like if, if you join as an analyst when you're 27, right? I mean, whoa, maybe when I'm 37, yeah. I can become a partner yeah. if things go well, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a long it's actually- journey. Right. Um, it's actually, it's actually <laughs> funny because uh, just today, Dave and I were talking about onboarding our first investors into our LP syndicate, and 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 there I had the realization that we're we're here we're sitting talking about how will we onboard people that we will be dealing with for the next you know fifty people that we will be dealing with around that investment for 12, 14 years, because it's a fund investment, right? <laughs> so it's not, we're not just talking about how how do we fix something yeah. that we need to do ne- next week. It's it's actually how do we start this. That is going to be actually the vantage point for for 14 year old relationship. I think that it's very yeah. funny to think of it in that that way. Um, so, Bo, before we go to the quick fire, I want us yeah. to just touch on one thing uh, because I know that you sometimes say that VC has spoken a bit too much about being founder friendly, um, and maybe we've taken it too far. I want to give you just the uh, chance to to explain that, <laughs> and uh, and then we'll go to the quick fire afterwards. I think there is a a miss maybe a misconception and and uh, i think that because as i talked about earlier the the competitiveness in the market vc is pitching to entrepreneurs um and that's you know that's great right uh, vcs also uh, avail a lot of resources to entrepreneurs um but but i think there's that misunderstanding of being nice to the entrepreneur and and i think in the way we think about it is we want to make the company the best it can be we want to make also the individual individual entrepreneurs the best they can be. And in, in my view, this sort of analogy for the relationship is maybe more as a a coach, right? And, you know, it's we, we had an intern with us who used to play American football for Washington Redskins, right? Uh, I think he's 196 and weighs, you know, 110 kilos, right? And, and uh, I asked him, you know, did you like your coaches? And he said, no, I hated them, but they made me better. Right. And, and I think if uh, if you can build a relationship, first of all, of course, it's about mutual respect. Right. And and it's also about having empathy for the journey of building a company, which is 7, 10, 12, 14 years. And you have to go through a crisis and COVID and, and layoffs, restructure, come back. And, and there there is it's just such a tough journey. Right. And sort of having that relationship is also not something it's not automatically granted to you. But as you work together, as you go through thick and thin, shoulder to shoulder with entrepreneurs, right? You are not there to be a cheerleader for them, right? You are there to make them better. You're there to try to help them make good decisions and on on the margin, make more good decisions than bad decisions, right? Uh, and also have the courage to hire people that are better than, the, than themselves, right? Which for many people is not so easy, right? Um, 
and and you know that's that's what you need to do if you need to build a large successful business right so there are many many things in this journey uh, um, and being a, a being sort of friendly it, that's fine I think it's more about making the company the best it can be and and you can then be also if you're candid and articulate with the entrepreneur and I'm not saying you need to bollock people in a board meeting right that's really a good thing um, but you can have open conversations right about uh, um, how you solve problems and how you make decisions and you know and I think you can uh, you can earn that over time as you work with entrepreneurs and I mean I've worked with many entrepreneurs and not all of them become friends but but it so happens that quite a few of them become friends over time because you have been through a journey right but but it's also as with a friendship it's something you have to earn on the way right it doesn't come natural so maybe that was a a, a longer explanation but but uh, I, I think the found friendly piece is is somewhat uh, a misnomer here right because uh, we want to make entrepreneurs and companies the best they can be that's really why we are around it's also it's also interesting because i we, i think of it also you know because we're doing we're doing these lp syndicates so we're, we're, we're talking with gps a lot and, and thinking about the lp gp dynamics right and it's interesting when you see many gps that have these institutional grade lps who are some of them notoriously hard to raise from but that they actually extract value right from that relationship so it's actually somewhat the same dynamic that's what i was thinking where when you have a very professionalized lp that you need to report in a very professionalized manner how that actually then helps you with all the other lps because they're just better because of it right so it's it's not that yeah. that's my that's my interpretation at least no no and cause and of course david you hate to be told that oh but these other dps are better than you right so you know get your act together right it's like oh why is he saying that you know it's like exactly exactly oh, gee, right it's it's um it's not nice to hear but that's how you get better right i mean it's it, and, and i think and, and maybe one other point i want to make is also very often entrepreneurs need to hire for functions that they don't know and and many entrepreneurs may not have been before in a world-class organization so so the question is what does good look like when you hire and it's very hard and and it's i mean I, I, and again for me the analogy is in do they i mean sports is a good one right if you play a sport let's say you play tennis or, or rugby or soccer if you play with somebody on a national or elite level i mean often you see that well they play a completely different game than i play right and it's a bit the same when you hire right have you worked with a world-class cfo for instance and cfo is often a, a tricky one as a company grows what what does good look like and also what can the right hire bring to my company i i and of course you it's, it's hard to know when you have if you have not been on the journey before right you you don't know what good looks like and again these are these are some of the conversations that are just so important to to walk through uh, with the entrepreneurs right yeah. and it's also hard to hire hire for the future right like oh we don't need that right now mm -hmm. well but then the time you need it nine months later you need nine months to hire right and so i think this this question of what does good look like is is a very important one and it's it's a it's often hard to uh, to uh, get to yeah. with uh, uh, with founders and entrepreneurs as well. I, I love your sports metaphor, and Andreas and I are here texting with each other, saying we love it. Um, because I used, I actually used to play um, like first division handball, and I think yeah. the person in my life who has insulted me the most <laughs> was my coach. <laughs> but he actually made me a better player. He really did, and I, do, I actually do like the guy now. At the time, I hated him, right? but I do like the guy now. Yeah. So I love that metaphor. As you said it, I was like. Ah. I can, I can relate to that. So I love it. Very cool. Bo, before we end, we always finish with a quick fire round. The quick fire round is when we ask yep. you a couple of quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready? Yep. So first question of the quick fire round is what areas, technologies, or sectors excite you the most that other people around you don't really feel that excited about? 
So I, I think I, maybe I want to ask in a slightly different way because everybody's rattling off the same technologies. Um, we think about sort of a future which is converged where, where there's very little distinction between the virtual and the physical. And um, it's a version of, you know, there's a lot to talk about the metaverse, right? I, I think we feel that the discussion is too binary. Um, uh, when the world is converged and, and we don't really talk about what is virtual and, and physical, maybe that's what the metaverse is. The glue in that is AI, and that's what makes us excited across all across all verticals we operate in. That's a very cool answer, actually. <laughs> second second question of the quick fire: What are your top tips for emerging VCs who are fundraising? And just so you know, most of our listeners are European, so let's maybe try and make it European centric if possible. Start small, show some early victories, and and then build from there. Um, Timing is super critical. If you're fundraising now, it's hard, but it's much better than if you had raised the fund in 2019, for instance. Uh, and and uh, you know, there will be a lot of restructuring coming in. But yeah, start small, have small proof of concepts and, and build from there. And then just, you need to network like crazy. And you never know where the money is gonna come from. And, and it's gonna be like the ketchup bottle, right? And it's gonna be enormously frustrating. And, and, and at times you just wanna throw in the towel and say, I've had it but stick with it and, and keep shaking the bottle because something's going to come out. I love, I love the ketchup metaphor. <laughs> third, and, third and final question. What is the most counterintuitive thing that you both have learned since you've been in venture? I think lawyers make good CEOs. And th the reason is that lawyers are taught to think about substance and process. And at times they can come across as sort of cold or distant, but and they can be extremely effective because they understand how to run a process of conversation, decision-making without getting entangled emotionally in the substance of the conversation. And I think that's just such an important uh, um, skill that we all are emotional creatures, but if you can dis have this distinction, I think you can do extremely well in, in uh, I mean, almost whatever you do, but especially- in I love that answer. That's a good one. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. This was awesome. I really had a great time <laughs> diving deep with you. Thanks a million. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc.